0: So, Berto, serious question here, is Facebook and social media in general evil? Is it all evil for humans and society and us? What do you think?
1: I don't think that's accurate, no. Okay. I don't think it's all evil.
0: So, let's look into that, what do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda, I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Castaneda and I make lids for jars. So the reason why we're talking about this is because there's a new Netflix documentary that came out this month or last month called The Social Dilemma. And in this documentary, it's it's interesting because they have some interesting storytelling elements. They they have actual like a they follow a family essentially as social media affects them in some very dire ways and they also interview a lot of people who used to work in tech you know people who used to be like the CEO of Pinterest for example or the guy who was hired by Facebook to try to increase engagement you know at, at the beginning of that model of making money on the internet uh, they were the originators and a lot of them have since, Left those fields and now are speaking out against the evil of social media. Uh, what do you think overall as a documentary? Would you did you like it? I didn't love it. <laughs> I, I I'll go further. I'll say I
1: felt it was ironically ma- manipulative.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought the exact same thing. So the I'm the, glad. <laughs> the central premise, and and I think the documentary is a good social good. By the way, I I yeah. think I think everyone should watch this or something along these lines, because there isn't enough pushback on the ills and uh, of yeah. social media and the internet and what it can do to us, at, not only as individuals, but also as a society. I mean, clearly, more education is needed. And so this, this documentary lays it out. But yeah, absolutely. The documentary... At, at, especially toward the end, like the latter half or latter third, I was like, um, are they going to mention the fact that they're doing the exact same thing <laughs> that, they're, well, there was... that they're accusing social media of? Because like, they're accusing social media of being sensational to, yeah. to generate clicks. And I – because essentially, spoiler alert, it's not really a spoiler, but – oh, it is a spoiler, but it's not really a spoilable situation because it's a documentary. But like I said, there's this family that they follow, follow, and there's this boy in high school, and he is getting – he's just a regular teenage kid. He's not into any conspiracy theories, but as the algorithm figures him out, they slowly feed him a bunch of information that leads him down into, like, a QAnon rabbit hole, essentially – And he starts to become radicalized. And at at that point, so the first half of the documentary, anyone can relate to it. Like all of us are implicated or all of us are in danger. As soon as you start to go to what literally is probably like 0.1% of the population, you know, someone who actually shows up to activist events and tries to harm other people like this kid did. Then you're talking about something that's other, and for the vast majority of Americans or people, they're going to watch that and be like, "Well, I'm not that bad, so I'm okay." Right. Uh, missing the broader point here is that no, we're all not okay. And yeah, there's a fringe yeah. element that we need to look at as well, but the bigger picture here is we are all implicated in this. We we're all negatively affected by this if we don't do something about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so a couple th- things that came to mind. Uh, one. I totally agree with you. There are aspects about it. Look, I happen to know a lot about the things they were talking about, the techniques they were talking about that the social media companies use. But I guarantee you that the average consumer out there has almost no clue about it. So I thought that all that information was really valuable. Like, do you know that they track how long you spend looking at a picture? Do you know? Like, all that information I thought was really valuable. Some of the advice at the end, at the very end, I thought was really useful. In fact, it's stuff that you've mentioned before. And I think we, we did a little bit on ways to like have better sleep. Like you were talking about, you know, not having devices next to you, things like that. But, um, there was one moment that I just thought it was the height of irony. It was towards the end where, um, one of the guys that they were interviewing, he's looking straight at the camera and he's saying, and you're, I totally paraphrasing, but it's like, and you're being manipulated by, because they want to make more money. And I'm watching this as a Netflix produced documentary, you know, on like my big TV, like totally entertained. And I want more. (laughs) I just thought it was ironic.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now I'm sure the producers are aware of it. I'm sure at some point it occurred to them, but they're thinking, well, but we've got to make this compelling in the way that consumers want it to be. But I just wanted some some acknowledge some nod to that at, at maybe t- they're the very end and there's like and by the way, I made this documentary in a style that is used to manipulate you to do bad things on social media. Yeah. I used it intentionally to try to get you to pay attention to that. But I want to acknowledge that I use sensationalized fear tax tactics. Uh, and I was trying to manipulate you because not because I'm trying to hurt you or trying to get money from you. I'm actually my goal is is that you'll wake up to what's happening here. That's why I'm doing that or something like that. I was like, eh. Yeah. Um, so to be clear, what they're talking about in this documentary is not just Facebook. They're talking about Google and Twitter and Reddit and Instagram, TikTok. All yeah, all yeah, things. YouTube. So let's review some of the – so I'm I'm going to go through my notes here. Here are the, some of the claims that they made in terms of what's happening here. The, their main claim is that the internet is manipulating people on a massive scale all day long, and machine learning and algorithms are in a constant state of monitoring literally your every move that is monitored by your phone, which – is a lot, Um, you know, slowly, but surely over the past 10 years, your, your privacy has been, you know, compromised and like boiling a frog, which isn't actually scientific frogs actually do jump out at a certain point. But (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. But the, uh, but the, the analogy is apt in that. Slow, you know, I remember, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, there was talk about how um, you know, I can't remember exactly what it Oh, it might have been something like, did you know that Google keeps track of the search terms that you enter into Google? Like, I remember there was something along those lines of like, right. did you know that, you know, your IP address is associated with the search terms? And people freaked about that. I remember it was just right. like, what? They're keeping track. That is like complete privacy. Now it's like, and most people understand that multiple companies understand every everywhere you are at any given time they know exactly the jeep within 2 feet of exactly where you are they are even listening to you to you know because it has to be listening in order for your google assistant or your you know alexa device to even know what's happening and we want this to happen. We we like the fact that Yelp will recommend things to us, or that Google you know keeps tra- you know. There's sometimes where I'm like, wait, where was I on that day? And I I'll look it up on my Google right. Maps uh, history. I'll be like, where what? Oh, that's where I was. You know. Yep. Um, f- another thing, like I have car insurance that is it's called Metro Mile, and it's and what it's based on is your miles. So there's a device you put in your car. And it has a GPS in there and it keeps track of every mile I drive in my car. And because I barely drive my car, uh, my insurance rates are really low. And the and the insurance company doesn't have to base their rates with me on my honor or me telling them the truth. They just can literally see he's barely driving. So we, we don't need to charge him that much because the yeah. chance of him needing us is pretty slim. And we willingly pass this over. And so that's what this documentary is laying out to us of like reminding us of like, do you realize all the things that you are doing? And these people, you know, the the Googles and the Facebooks, they're not interested in your well being, they're interested in money, and they're interested in manipulating that data in whatever way possible to make money for some for sometimes what that means is, they will accurately know, what restaurants to put in your feed because you're in that neighborhood, which most of us would be like, well, what's the big deal of that? In other situations, they're manipulating your political beliefs so that you will be afraid and be normalized continually just based on an algorithm, which will lead you to shooting a pizza shop eventually because the algorithm has pointed you in that direction.
1: Yeah. The, the, the only caveats here are that, uh, one – i agree that at a corporate level because this is in fact the way that that the that the publicly owned publicly traded corporations work in this country at the corporate level there is in fact a disembodied desire to maximize profit and that is the stockholder expectation and that does cause a ton of problems in all our industries definitely including these Um, at at the individual level uh, first of all uh, individuals very, very few individuals at these companies have direct access to logs in a way that they could determine anything specific about a person. If they do, they're breaking internal policies, and in some cases, they're breaking laws. However, in the in the documentary, they presented, and I know it was a metaphor, but they presented the the little characters pretending to be talking to each other about how are we going to get them to keep engaged in the application? Yeah. And it was a metaphor for what's going on with the AI. Um, But again, that was a little manipulative because it made it seem like the AI is like, personally aware of you and knows who your girlfriend was and all these things. And at at a data level, there's of course, a, a, a billion associations that happen, and it can lead to some weird things that we've all experienced. Like when we were having a conversation and then the next time we log into Facebook, all of a sudden there is a ad for the thing we were talking about, and that is freaky, right? Um, but there's definitely no individual sitting there like targeting people going like oh I know what Kirk Khan is going to do uh, and, and even at the at the leadership level uh, there's no stated desires in these co- companies in general I'm sure there are <laughs> psychopaths out there but in general there's no stated desire of we are going to harm human beings right you know, and it's and, all like yeah
0: yeah but for and I guess for some viewers of this documentary they will walk away with that impression that right. there is a a set of employees or something that are personally watching everything that you're doing, and that's not what I took away. I guess because yeah, I, I, I know not. all those details, <laughs> but yeah, I guess some people would, and and maybe that's part of the point that they're trying to manipulate right. people because they're trying to make people afraid. But yeah, and, and that's why for me, for example, uh, for the most part, I I totally allow Google to monitor everything about me, like I. Uh, I've downloaded the logs. Have you ever done that?
1: Yeah, and um, I did do that when when I learned about that, and it was quite revealing.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it, there wasn't that much there that sure. I had a problem with. You know, I in fact there was nothing there that I had a problem with, by the way, and it and it was only back a few years, I believe, <clears throat> and like because I'm guessing they purge it after a certain amount of years or something, and for the most part, I was like, well, it's not great. I suppose that some corporation knows this all about me, but, but I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and so now this doesn't mean that it's okay. And at the very end, we're going to, I'm going to go over my recommendations of what we need to do. Um, so I, I will say summarize though, that this documentary should be watched. I think it's good for people to watch if they don't know about this sort of thing. As a jumping off point for discourse and discussion and voting and regulation thought and this sort of thing, um, I'm not saying that this documentary, because of its problems, is somehow supposed to be discounted. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm saying that the documentary kind of points out like that this is 100% evil, essentially. Uh, and it, it's it's just not that way. and. There's – which we'll get into later. But other things that they were pointing out was that we evolved to socialize and the internet is designed to reward our brain in the most effective way possible. In the way that Cheetos are designed perfectly to get you to eat more and more and more of them, (laughs) Uh, the internet and Facebook and TikTok are – perfectly designed by people who absolutely do their research on how to hack your brain, essentially, uh, because at the corporate level, they're trying to make money. And to make money, they have to keep you engaged, because that sells advertising. They're not nefarious people. They're not psychopaths. This is the this is what uh, capitalism is, you know, It's, it's the American way, and perhaps the way of the market around the world. And so, we are social creatures. And when we get a like, or when we see another human being doing something, then we pay attention. And so the internet has slowly gravitated towards uh, providing us with the dopamine hits that uh, that we desire to have um, in, you know, outside of our devices. Um, We're animals, uh, and we're barely smarter than other apes. So the, the notion that Our devices somehow are, uh, you know, harming us is shouldn't be that surprising. You know, if if a bunch of chimpanzees somehow designed the Internet, we wouldn't expect them to create a a technology that was 100 percent good for them. You know, we would imagine that they would make some mistakes in the process of doing it. Well, we're barely smarter than apes in the grand scheme of things. And so um, so it's not surprising that our technology sometimes get ahead, ahead of us in the same way, like the atomic bomb got ahead of us and all sorts of other, you know, global warming and, you know, industrialization is getting ahead of us, you know, just, it just makes sense.
1: <clears throat> yeah, that, that's the, the story of the exponential growth of our tech compared to our evolutionary rate is that, right? Because as soon as agriculture was developed, we started having new health problems. As soon as weapons with iron and you know bronze were developed, we started having new violence type of problems. And like you said, a atomic bomb. Uh, the other thing is even more recently, that was one thing I didn't... I, I think it was shallow of the documentary to pretend that this is a new problem. I understand the accelerating effect of the technology because of the exponential growth of computers and tech in general, right? But when tvs when radio was out when newspapers were out they briefly mentioned this yeah. manipulation has been going on from the beginning
0: yeah i kept King's waiting manipulated yeah i kept waiting <laughs> right i kept waiting for someone to mention that and then that really old guy mentioned it yeah. in that one meeting and i was and he was discounted he was dismissed <laughs> and, yeah yeah as a, no you don't understand it's different now and it's like well yeah. it, you know you could make an argument that it's more intense now for sure yeah but this isn't new and the boogeyman that you're proposing in this documentary has always been around you know yeah. and 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 again it doesn't mean that we should be complacent it just means nope. that throughout history we've had these invasions and the world didn't end <laughs> the way that it, the way that this documentary is clearly saying that right. we are it's, the world is going to end because of social media i mean literally there this one guy says that <laughs> An apocalypse is going to happen, and it'll be the end of of the human race. He literally said that.
1: (laughs) And that might happen, but not because of the reasons. So, like, there was another moment that was also telling where they said, look, uh, TV, I think he said even TV in the 80s, like, there were rules for advertising to kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, sure. And those were egregiously, like, uh, lax, because... We were so manipulated as children. It's not even funny. Right. Everything you wanted, every place you wanted to eat at, everything you wanted to do was all manipulated by
0: TV. Yeah, candy all bars. All those ads we watched. Can, yeah, can, candy bars, bad cereal, toys, cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it it now I will I did agree with that. So there were a lot of things in this documentary where I was I was on both sides. On one hand, I was like, um "That is taking it a little far." But it, there is a point to it. I mean, when you and I were growing up in the 70s and 80s, the amount of advertisements we saw on, a, on an average day would have been like, I, they even have these data, but it's, you know, let's say it's 12 ads a day or 25 ads a day or something. The amount of messaging that children get today on average in Western societies is has got to be like exponentially higher. I mean, we're probably talking hundreds, if not thousands of ads that are pumped into their eyeballs on a on a daily basis. And so that cannot be a good thing. Right? I mean, it it there has to be, or I'm guessing there just has to be some kind of an effect. Now, you could make the argument that it just becomes part of the background, I suppose. But, but anyway, so that leads us into the next set of points that they make, they say, Okay, well, what's, what's the effect that Oh, Oh, going back to some of the claims, there's one last thing, one of the one of the women that was being interviewed, she talked about subliminal manipulation, which I don't know the whole science on that, but from my memory of the science, which I've looked into a few times over my career, that subliminal uh, uh, you know, manipulation is not supported by science, that uh, you cannot or the claims that are often especially believed among common people are not supported by science, meaning that you want people to think about sex, so you flash a penis in this in the span of everything and on fight club yeah these are these ideas are are just not supported by the science um, so subliminal subliminal manipulation uh, either there's a very, very small signal from that or it's non-existent so i i just thought they should have vetted that a little bit but of course that gets everyone going of just like wait the internet is subliminal the internet doesn't have to subliminally affect you they can just overtly affect you and we all see the effects on that
1: I, i will say one one thing though about ads is that we can all remember so many jingles from the 80s and those brands that whose jingles were really popular it most of them or a lot of them became dominant brands so there was some power to a show that was watched simultaneously by millions of individuals that were right. little and susceptible with a very catchy jingle and colorful bright things and this yeah. um versus like one of those quick clickbaity things which might be <laughs> have their own damage but but it is interesting like we have been permanently changed by the things that we were taught were uh consumable in the 80s yeah i don't know that i remember many ads you know, recently, but...
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Right. McDonald's, Nike, uh, you could say Michael Jordan. Uh, Coca-Cola. Yeah. uh, All these things were uh, because TV, because there were three channels, you, and there were, you know, there was two TV shows to watch at any given time. Everyone saw the same commercials and there was like a a global hit to a society, you know, that affected everyone. And now it's like... uh, there's always options. Like for me, the amount of ads I actually come into contact today are probably fewer than I did when I was younger, because right. I have the power to say, I don't want to watch that, <laughs> that right, ad, right. or I am going <laughs> i don't watch videos that have ads at the beginning, or, you know, you I'm going to skip
1: those. <laughs> yeah, or i skip
0: them, or I'll pay for this service, so I don't have to look at it. So now, again, the, the, we do have a problem on our hands yeah. right now. The documentary just doesn't seem to provide some minor counterpoints in, to the skepticals like me and Imberta were like, well, come on. All right. So some effects that they're claiming is that it causes us to pull away from in-person life, that when you have internet or phone addiction, uh, which is a real problem for some for sure, that you you just pull away from real life and you won't parent your kids, you'll have marriage problems, you won't be in the moment. Um, and you'll have sleep problems because you're checking your phone and anxiety, that sort of thing.
1: They might be onto something because this year, so many people stayed home for months.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, and I'll get more into the research on that in a second. But they also say, which which I actually kind of liked, that the guy in the dreadlocks, although he was the guy who said the world's going to end. I actually really enjoyed a lot of the things that he said. And one of the things he said is, We've put deceit and deceptiveness at the very center of everything we do. And I actually completely agree with that. But that started way before the Internet, by the way. It's in our materialistic, market-driven, capitalistic society. Uh, Sometimes people think that when I criticize capitalism, I, I say that we should be communists or something. I'm not saying that. I actually think capitalism can absolutely work, but you just have to have responsible, ethical capitalism. And there are some elements of that, like regulation and that kind of – anyway, the point yeah. is, is that uh, we live in a society that, uh, you know, as that one guy says, like, when you're born into the matrix, you don't realize you're in the matrix. And all of us alive today were born into that matrix that this documentary is purporting was invented when the internet or social media happened. The, that that um, deceit and deceptiveness and market-driven – materialism has been around for a long time, which we'll get into in a little bit as well. Um, Then they go into political manipulation, which I found to be the most chilling uh, aspect of this, because it's one thing to manipulate me to like Nike or something. It's another thing to see the obvious bifurcation of the left and the right. And I think this documentary and other experts make a, and myself included (laughs) on this podcast, and you as well alberto make a compelling argument that the echo chambers that is that are created by the algorithm is the problem the and echo they,
1: chambers that are created by the algorithm is the problem
0: right right what's your point i just echoed what you oh said. i was just like what's <laughs> happening right now um, you should have said chamber chamber chamber, chamber. that would That's have been obvious. a better joke <laughs> yeah always the less obvious joke and thus less funny Berto. Um, so, yeah, the, the algorithm is, and I love that one woman saying, she says, because uh, she was like a mathematician or something, and she said that algorithms are opinions in, based in math or something. That, you know, because we tend to think of algor- algorithms as like unfeeling, they're, they're, they're objective, so to speak. But she was saying, no, no, algorithms are opinions that are put to math, and so the opinion that a lot of these algorithms uh, are based on is, we need people to click, and and we don't care what they click on. And we also know through research that causing fear causes people to click. And we understand that uh, fake news is, you know, propagates faster. People are more likely to click on fake news. And so within the algorithm is the opinion that it's okay to propagate fake news, and it's okay to encourage. Uh, irrational paranoia about the other political party. And so that's the opinion. And and although that wasn't the original design, that's what happened. And I'm sure I'm quite positive that the designers of the algorithm knew right away what was happening because they do a lot of data crunching and a lot of monitoring. Their livelihood depends on them understanding the behavior of the users. So they absolutely knew Facebook included, and Zuckerberg included, knew that their that you know one of the side f- effects of among many of their algorithm on Facebook was actually creating uh, echo chambers and political extremism and deaths, <laughs> literal people dying because of the algorithm pointing you in a direction on, on Facebook. And 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 again, I'm getting away from, I think, the core point that I want to get across is the algorithm creates the extremist, which we can all go, ooh, look at that over there, the extremist, I don't like them. We are all a product of that echo chamber. And one of the things I thought of, Berto, was you will often talk about how on Facebook you get into arguments with people about politics and this sort of thing. And I don't know if you remember, but, you know, because we've been talking about this for years, and I would always say um, huh, your experience of Facebook is completely different from mine because I don't see anything political on Facebook. Right. I, I, I never see a single political post of any. I only see pictures of cats and kids on the first day of second grade and my mom and my dad going on a walk. I, 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 what is going on? Do we have like completely different friends? And then, of course, this documentary of you know talks about how uh, – and then I started thinking about – the I, f- sometimes when there's a political thing, i'll I'll scroll by it. I don't look at it because I'm just like, oh, political thing, that's not why I'm on Facebook. One, two, I don't think any political thing on Facebook is worth my time. If I want to look up a political you know conversation or detail, I'm gonna I go to my trusted sources. I don't go to Facebook. I don't go to, you know where my uncle posts his his random ideas, whether I agree with him or not, It's just not my place. So the algorithm must have figured out, oh, Kirk doesn't pay attention to political stuff on Facebook, so why show him? Because, you know, the feed decides what it's going to show me. Whereas for you, you engage with it, you at least stop and look at it and sometimes comment and get involved in it, and thus your experience of Facebook is very different from mine. I don't know.
1: It, but. it might be There might be something about content, but in, in many cases for me it's simpler. It's, it's specific people that I end up interacting with, and those specific people's posts get bubbled up to my feed. Right. And because I
0: I'm but it's the same to it's the same It's the same thing I'm saying though, you know. Yeah, if, it's if just I that was it could be about that, cars or it could be about whatever. Yeah, know, yeah, right. But whatever. right, yeah. the algorithm doesn't necessarily care it's about politics. The algorithm yeah. just knows you mm. will engage on right. you'll stay on Facebook when this person posts things with the with these keywords. Yeah. Whereas for me, the Facebook algorithm has figured out uh, and Kirk will actually turn off Facebook if he sees political things. Right. And so my experience of Facebook is, a, even though we're on the same political spectrum, I'm in a different echo chamber within that political spectrum on Facebook.
1: Yeah, and and to uh, actually to give a point to what this whole thing is about, uh, you couldn't Im- imagine a different set of maybe algorithms in this case, where it, where they are aware that uh, it's not men- maybe health. As healthy mentally, to to have people engaged in constant battle, right, in constant battle online, uh, and so they could throttle. How often I do see those things, but there is a problem with that, which is, it's it's a it's the double edged sword that all of these companies have run into, including Google. So if Google shows you the results that their algorithms just say, look, this is what the like they gave that example that like you search for climate change and depending where you are, it might give you different results. I I don't know if that's true. I'll just take their word that they did that test. I I hope they're not lying to us about that. Um, But in general, what the the Google search algorithm is, is just giving you the most common results for all the variables that might give you what you're looking for. And they're certainly not sitting there. There's no to this point, opinion in those algorithms going, well, if they already don't believe in climate science, let's make sure that that doesn't exist. It's yeah, literally that, just,
0: that's the right? That's the point of the document. And, I, and I'm and i guessing some people don't retain that because it's kind of a complicated thing. Right. But but, the, but the, they made that point abundantly clear that right. the, the people who are designed those algorithms, they don't care w- why it, it works. They just want it to work. And it just so right. happens that what works is political divide. And so what happens is that if Google, for example, or some other company were
1: to take aggressive steps in the opposite direction to sort of, and you've seen this, right? To explicitly censor certain things with opinions, algorithms that specifically say, no, no, don't do that. No, don't do this, um, which might be right, right? But they do open themselves up to the, another side suing them and going after them for, for censorship. And so this is a fine line that these companies have to ride.
0: Well, you know, we'll talk about this at the end. But my short answer to that is, after much discourse among non-Google employees and stock on- stock owners, then we'll know what to do. And I don't know the answer to that. It is a you, you know you do point out a a, a rub there, but there's always going to be a rub if we do nothing. We're making a choice, so we have to do something to stop what is happening. And that is going to require uh, decisions to manipulate the algorithms to manipulate the people, you know, because the algorithms have, you know, they need to have the algorithm there. And so we just need a more thoughtful algorithm that's based on what we as a society decide is the best thing to do. And and it gets weird, and I don't trust people to do this, but that would be the recommendation that I would make is that people should set out to try. And, and and it does work. And to give you another example that, you know, and I'm sure you know this, but another example is, uh, there are certain uh, phrases that Google has flagged for uh, that it's not going to suggest, you know, like, if you say, like, say that whenever anyone types in, um, I don't know, like, uh, are Jewish people blank, you know, like, right. so are Jewish people blank. And let's say that you know, 50% of the time, you know, it's like, are Jewish people out to get me? Or, you know, are Jewish people in a conspiracy against other people? You know, there's some kind of phrase there that is very common. Well, Google has decided there are certain common phrases that although is likely what the person is actually looking for, we're not going to suggest that because we don't it's too want egregious
1: or whatever. Yeah, yeah we
0: don't we, we just don't want those kinds of ideas out there because even if 1% of the people that see that suggestion are like that's not what I was going to say, we just don't yeah. want that kind of press or we don't yep. want to spread those kinds of i those you're you're free to complete that phrase the way that, you know, in the bad way, you know, because it's a it's a free Google search engine, but we're not going to suggest it whereas if you if you type in, you know, uh, who is on Umberto's, and then it ends with wife, you know, it's like, you know, there you go. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> oh, and, and you know, like, basically, uh, one of the things that the documentary didn't do clearly enough, I guess they did this, but it almost made it sound like they were saying, so these companies need to fix this. And I, and I get that that's not it, they were really saying, like, all of us need to get informed. But it did sound sort of like, These companies have to stop doing this Um, but the fact is look one of the examples they gave that they they used as a positive example at least somewhat they said look at Wikipedia Wikipedia everyone sees the same thing and it's curated content but as you know or I think you know oftentimes Wikipedia is derided by a lot of people they're like oh Wikipedia like um, I, I know a lot of teachers like they're like oh don't look it up in Wikipedia and things like that but actually What's wrong with Wikipedia? Like, for yeah. ages, no one said, oh, don't look it up in the encyclopedia. Well, an encyclopedia was a very curated, way more curated tome of opinions, you know, gathered together by very, like a very narrow set of individuals, right? W- Wikipedia is a lot more open source. People can, dis- uh, you know, dispute all these things. So, as a society, I think we need to change uh, through these discourses and these documentaries and a lot of conversation. And, and we need to change our opinions about certain things because if we don't think Wikipedia is good, well, then what is good? <laughs> um, if you don't want search algorithms, but you also don't want like curated content and we don't, you know, so that was right. one thing that I thought we could, we could do better as a society.
0: Right. The, when you type in something like uh, uh, Italian restaurants in Seattle, Google doesn't just give you a objective list. Google is trying to guess when people type in Italian restaurants in Seattle, the the algorithm tries to figure out what are the 10 most likely things you're looking for. Yeah. They're not actually looking at, you know, the first 10 that they happen to come across that that matches that thing. It is it it's perfectly designed to be like, I bet you anything the first 3 they are looking for this link, and it could be a link to an Italian restaurant. It could be a link to a, a review site that has the best 10 Italian restaurants in Seattle, or, or maybe that day there was a Italian restaurant that had a, had a fire, and so the first thing is like, well, I'm guessing they're probably looking for the fact that this one Italian restaurant, Seattle, burned down. The algorithm, we understand, is a part of our life. We want it to be there, because if it wasn't there... Google would be useless. <laughs> like, you would have to search through hundreds of pages of search results to get to potentially one thing that you wanted. Yeah. You, we need that algorithm. We want that algorithm. And so, but we need to be critical and thoughtful about how all the algorithms are affecting us. And, and that's the key is we need we, – and we cannot rely on the businesses to do this. They're out to make money, and that's fine. And I thought that there was this one uh, pretty great line that, of course, isn't revolutionary to me, but I, I liked the way it was framed. The guy was like, you know, a tree is worth more dead than alive, and a whale is worth more dead than alive. And most of us understand that, and we need regulations, obviously, to stop us and the market from cutting down every tree in the world and killing all the whales. We have government laws that say, whoa, 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 if we let the market decide what happens, there won't be any trees left. There won't be any whales left. And that's no fault to the whalers or the tree people. They're just trying to make money. And so there always has to be a thoughtful governmental regulation body to question what the market is doing. Um, but he says, so we all understand those ideas. But now we are the whale and the tree, is what he said. Yeah. We have created an, a, an algorithm where we are worth more stupid and more manipulated and perhaps even dead. We're worth more th- uh, you know, in a bad state than in a good state. We're worth more to the market as terrified, brainwashed idiots than we are as intelligent and happy and content human beings. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. the whale, we're the tree and, we're, and there's no regulation stopping the marketers from just cutting us all down and, and putting us in a wood chipper.
1: Yeah, right. And now again, I will say <laughs> that is unfortunately the history of humanity. Uh, there were laws against the average person being able to read the bible there were uh there were incentives for the royalty and feudal lords to keep people like just busy on working the field and not get too smart um there have been incentives for women not getting education and not going into the workforce because you know it's just easier if they're just doing their thing and cooking our food and stuff um there's always incentives always incentives to keep the masses just busy with sports and with beauty pageants, and with just you know, just keep their brain off, because if their brain is on, all of a sudden they start asking questions about why this, why right. that, why do you have this, yeah. why don't I have that, and we don't want that. Right. So this and, is not new. No, no.
0: <laughs> and the pushback has not been new. Right. And we just have to uh, reinvigorate that to this new threat. Yeah. Uh, the, and and that's why I have hope, and I've had hope about this for a long time. Because when I was young, there was a very big concern about how television was rotting our brains, which seems quaint to us today. Most of us today are just like, "Come on, television, that's it's nothing compared to the Internet." But there was a real concern, and there were, you know, a lot of people talking about the end of the world and all this kind of stuff, and there were re- there was research to back it up. And, yep. and what happened was there was talk and education. I, I mean, you and I were old enough to be on the, the wave of education for us about what TV was doing to us. There was just right. so much, even parody, like UHF, the movie, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. There there were, uh, you know, I- uh, idiocracy, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, there, there's so many different uh, messages given to us. You know, uh, Running Man, the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. You know, yep. there were all these uh Art pieces and education and telling us, look, people, that wasn't present, for example, in the 50s and 60s by the time we got to us. So I have faith that now and moving into the future, a lot more parents are going to be talking with kids about it, a lot more PSAs, a lot more art is going to be made for young people that will inspire them to think about this. There will be more movies that will depict how – people are susceptible in the same way that how right now it's proven that a lot of people are very susceptible to uh, false uh, conspiracy theories on the internet, flat earth, this kind of thing. Because of the internet, because of the algorithm, the conspiracy theories are, are, are easier to believe or, or they're you know pe- susceptible people are, are being exposed to these things more readily or that sort of thing. Yep. And and I think that in 10 years enough people will see other people falling prey to that that they'll know, wait, am I falling prey to that? And I'm not saying that we're not always going to have a problem because undoubtedly we will because the advertisers will always figure out a way and the marketers will always figure out a way to lobby the politicians and all this sort of stuff. But I, I do have hope that the – The, you know, the 25 year olds 50 years from now will have an internal editor in their brain developed at a very young age that looks at the internet and says, hmm, what's the algorithm doing to me in a way that our population today just is not set up for because we weren't born into that system. Do you have hope? I do.
1: You know what I would love to give me even more hope? Imagine if we had the PBS of the internet stuff. For example, imagine if, because you know, like that was one thing that I thought was so helpful as a child is that I could watch programs like Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, and they had good messages and they worked with psychologists and, and like there were, there were things that were useful, like tools, right? They were calming shows. And, and, they, and there weren't ads, you know, that these shows were presented without ads. And it was, yeah, so you have to use tax funding and government influence to do this. But imagine if a kid could use a social network that was like government regulated, like PBS's social network that was actually totally in collaboration with child psychologists. And we were uh, and it was responsible and it had built in limits and it taught kids a lot. Like, imagine that that would be so good, you know, and you could do that for a lot of things like like search uh, using YouTube, a lot lot of things. In other words, a public option. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like a regulated way to provide kids with the right tools for all this technology.
0: Yeah, let's take a break and we get back. uh, You will probably have heard some advertisements which we're trying to manipulate you to listen to. And after the break, we'll talk about how this podcast is guilty of everything in the documentary. What do you say, Bruno?
1: Stay tuned.
0: All right, we're back from the break. So if um, Zuckerberg were to ask the listeners to become a patron of the podcast, what would he sound like?
1: Uh, i just I just think that it's 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 important for for you to understand that, like what we are doing is uh, that the computer figures out what you need at the right moment and so the, the solution for us is we're going to add more ai to try to explain to you how it is important for you to visit patreon and become a patron of psychology in seattle because uh, the, the solution isn't more regulation it's it's more ai because the ai can figure out why you should subscribe and become a patron and it's it's ai the solution's ai
0: it's <laughs> very subtle uh, the best impersonations are subtle <laughs> Um, so how we are doing <laughs> the very thing that this documentary and maybe that's part of my skepticism, because as I'm, out, I'm watching, I'm like, well, but I do this every day. I am trying to create content that people will want to listen to, i.e, I guess, click on in a sense. And I'm trying to make them dependent, I guess, not dependent, but loyal, want to keep coming back. Yeah, to our brand. And why? Because I make money when they do that, <laughs> right. when they become a patron, or they listen to ads, or they click on a video on YouTube. I literally make money, and and I think about this every day. I think about how now I, again I don't frame it in my head like how am I going to manipulate people. I'm I'm thinking well, what do they want to hear? What what content? are they going to engage with? You know, what do they want to do? And when I do YouTube videos, I will frequently say, because I I understand you're supposed to, and I understand it's good for uh, clicks and increasing exposure is you ask people to like the video, you ask people to subscribe, you do all those things. And that increases the chance that uh, my videos are going to be given to other people and impressions, you know, they're going to be more suggested videos to other people. and. So, you know, I'm using crowdsourcing to manipulate the algorithm of Google to make sure that my content gets seen and and I'm and I'm trying to make money. Now, the difference I think is that I am not trying to hoard a bunch of dollars so that I can buy a bigger house or something. I'm trying to make a positive difference in the world. I I believe I do have an ethical goal and mission in life. Other people could Different, disagree with that? They could be like, "Well, I don't think your mission is worth it at all. And if you really wanted to make a difference in the world, you would, you know, feed people in Africa, or I don't know what people would say. But, but I've thought about it a lot, and and I I feel good, and I feel confident about the moral uh, stance and the morality of the manipulation. If if we want to use the word manipulation, I I feel that. I am doing something ethical. Now, someone could argue with me and I, you know, I invite that, I suppose, but but uh, I, it's so that my point is is that it's not that using and just to take it a, another a step further is I've literally used the algorithm of Facebook in the way that they talk about in this documentary. I have gone to Facebook and because I, I want people on their Uh, you know, their home screen or their feed to see a suggested video that I have posted or a post that I've posted on Psychology in Seattle. And I'll pay, you know, we don't have a huge budget for it. So I'll pay like $10, you know, uh, for a maximum of $10. And I dial in the exact target market that I want to get because Facebook keeps track of that age, gender, politics, interests, income, where they live, you know, if they like podcasts, I can dial all that in. I say, for everyone that you know coincides with these markers, I want you to uh, put my stuff on their page. And every time someone clicks on it, I will pay you X amount of dollars. In the same way that that those three guy algorithm was, every time he hit that button, I'm one of the people that you know created an algorithm to hit a button every time. You know. So my point is, is that the algorithm itself, in the the, the way the documentary makes it seem, is evil. That's not. That is not an accurate way of looking at it. What is it being used for is the key? And two, does the consumer have an understanding of what's happening to them? You know, most people when they see an advertisement for my podcast come up, and I, you know, maybe it's a, a clickable topic, you know, like, I don't know maybe maybe you know, I'll just use this one like i I plan on calling this this episode. I don't know if I will. I never know what I'm gonna call it, but i I'm planning on calling it is Facebook evil because mm-hmm. clickable titles are short and you know sensational and yeah. you know interesting and to the point understandable and questions are usually kind of good sometimes because it implies there's gonna be an answer and you're gonna find out you know you li- click on this thing and you'll find out is Facebook evil but I un- I I understand or at least I hope that people when they see that come up on their feed, they're going to be like, well, I know what this is. This is someone trying to get me to click on their dumb thing because they have a thing that, you know, supposedly asked this question. And uh, and so the now Berto, am I just deluding myself in saying that I'm one of the good guys or at least I'm neutral?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So. Well, first of all, commerce goes back what? Maybe maybe ten thousand years.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Manipulation um, of the market. Right.
1: If if you and I were gonna start a bakery and we said, okay, well let let's make first of all, we're already if we were using this standard, we're already in trouble. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You're gonna sell fat and sugar to Americans. Right. That's is that ethical? It's like, well, wait, listen, but You know you don't have to eat it and it's we're gonna make it with healthy ingredients organic ingredients um we're gonna maybe even promote like you know we only sell a maximum of two or something right but or or even if we had a, a restaurant not even a bakery and we said well Are we going to make dishes that people like and they want to keep coming back for? Or are we going to make dishes that they're like, "Yeah, that's too healthy, I don't like it, or whatever, right? (laughs) We're probably going to make something that people want to do. Because why? Because we got to make money with this business because that's how we get paid, son. And we need to get paid in this society so we can eat and have roofs. So you don't even have to have the rationale that, well, I'm doing it for a noble cause. It's like, well, how are you eating? How are you feeding your, your family? But there are limits if... You know, and, and w- there are gray areas, but there are limits. So if what you're doing with this bakery is like, it's going to be a chain restaurant. We're going to buy the cheapest ingredients. It's going to be almost literally plastic that you're feeding these people, but it is addicting. And, and we're going to actually, with the money we make, one of the first things we're going to do is open a science lab to figure out how to make it more addicting. And we're going to like, and then we're going to suppress information that comes out about how unhealthy it is. See, that is completely unethical. And, and even if I said, well, I was, I was going to donate 10% to, to a good cause, co- it doesn't matter. You're being unethical. So, you know, we all have to decide with our businesses, with our endeavors, where is that line? And in some cases, it's obvious. In some cases, it's not so obvious. I think that, you know, having a podcast or having a show nowadays is a pretty common activity for many people. Trying to figure out how to have people be, get interested in your content is reasonable. Now, if you cross a line and it starts being too manipulative or whatever, yeah, maybe you're maybe you're going too far. But I I don't I certainly don't think it's black and white, and I certainly don't think it's a it's an easy answer of like yeah no if you're if you're using an algorithm or if you're naming things in a provocative way you're evil.
0: That's yeah. too simplistic. So I am the good guy. That's what you're saying.
1: <laughs> well, no, you're the bad guy. But I'm just saying other people other people are good guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the research now. When we when we think about research, scientific empirical observation, uh, why is research difficult in this area? <laughs> I guess, uh, well, for one thing, a lot of it might have to be
1: self-reporting.
0: <laughs> right. Um, right. That's that's the biggest right? one right there. Is okay. that because one that's cheap and. Uh, Doable because yeah. there isn't an unlimited uh, source of money to pay for lab uh, research or research that involves following people around objectively. Mm-hmm. You know the, the thing I always say is if if we really wanted to do psychological research, we would have to create a invisible drone that followed <laughs> people around. <laughs> Uh, silently and actually observed them in the real world because even when you take people into the lab they're in a lab they know they're in a lab ethics compel us to tell people you're you're in a lab you're being researched in this way yeah. so so a lot of the research that we have on this topic of social media and the internet and what we're doing and how it's affecting us is completely based on self report not only you know how many how much internet do you use not you know that question but also, like, how depressed are you? How right. anxious are you? How is your life going? How was your life five years ago? Are you more depressed now than you were five years ago? So much uh, uh, research right. that is talked about is based on those sorts of things. And we know through research, actually, that self-report is a, not a, an effective way of understanding the, the, the nature of reality. Uh, so, so that's one thing. What's another problem with research in this area?
1: Um, so you, a lot of this requires relationships, like, because you're interacting with other people, maybe not everything. Like you could certainly research searches and things like that, but if we're talking about social media, a lot of it is about interactions. So how are you going to, it's going to be hard to like fake those interactions for the purposes of the study or, and then if you have to get the other people involved in the study, then that's more people you have to get involved.
0: Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's a good one. Uh, I'll extend it by giving an example that a lot of research in social media and psychology they will give you a fake Facebook page, for example, and they'll say mm. like, "Which one of these two Facebook pages would you want to be friends with?" That kind of thing. Oh, interesting. And then they'll and they'll get these conclusions based on that of just like narcissistic people, people don't want to be friends with those people or something like that. Well, mm. what are they when you actually look at the design? They're just making up two pages and they're identifying one as looking more narcissistic and they're just asking yeah. people, which has nothing to do with reality because no one just friends people on Facebook based on the way their profile <laughs> looks. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, not real. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the person in real life usually, I mean, occasionally there are Facebook people that will friend just randos and usually it just has to do with sex or something, you know, Yeah. but, but anyway, so. I think they're like,
1: thinking of Tinder.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other thing here is, you know, what do we look at exactly? And how do we how do we measure thresholds, which I'll get into in a second? The other thing is causation versus correlation. So let's look at some of the research specifically. And these are research studies that I thought were valid, meaning peer reviewed and multiple studies looking uh, from multiple researchers looking at the same thing. So the first thing is that uh social media use is correlated with different elements of personality. So, who uses social media, you know, of the of the people who use social media a lot, what are some of the personality characteristics of those people versus people who don't use social media very much?
1: Oh, interesting. Huh. Well, I hadn't thought about that because so many people I know use social media. All right, maybe but like extrovert.
0: More, more, yeah, good. So extroverted, more likely to use social media. Yeah. They 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 log more hours. Yeah, yeah. Based on self-report, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what else?
1: Um, perhaps if they have, uh, if they are, um, okay, if they actually have stuff happening more frequently in their life. So maybe if they're more active.
0: Um, they don't look at that <laughs> or I didn't oh, okay. see any research on that. It's harder to do, right? Cause how do you define yeah, yeah. more active? If they have
1: more, uh, more friends, more connections?
0: Uh, I don't know. Other personality traits. Think about that. Oh, personality traits.
1: Um, so they are maybe more, uh, I don't know what this would be, but like they, they're, they self-disclose more for, oh, narcissistic.
0: <laughs> yep. Narcissistic. Yeah. Now, yeah. uh, a little side note on narcissism how do you think they measure narcissism? What's their definition of narcissism?
1: Um, how, how much they post? <laughs> like self, this circular definition.
0: <laughs> outside of social media. Oh, when, outside of social media. When they actually, you know, they're like, okay, I'm going to figure out on a scale from one to ten how narcissistic this person is. How uh, do they? How do they do that?
1: Interesting. The um, maybe how how focused they are on on their own life versus other people's lives.
0: Okay. So that might be one, th- how would you measure that?
1: I mean, you know, a questionnaire and like, you ask him like questions that are like from what? both sides of the fence, like, like things like, um, how many birthdays do you know? You know, how <laughs> okay. many of other people's birthdays do you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I like or, it. But you well,
0: immediately see the problem with that, right? Cause sure. <laughs> you know, if, if someone has a bad memory of dates, right or which i do <laughs> or they hate <laughs> and I'm <a> birthdays narcissist. <laughs> or they hate or they hate birthdays in general
1: yeah
0: or they're socially anxious and you know blah 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 then they're going to look more narcissistic uh, so so it's it's hard is the point that i am, yeah. am demonstrating is that one what is narcissism exactly uh, at, at its base level it's self-centered you're you're very much interested yeah. in yourself and you think you're superior than other people to other people you think that you're better, and you compare yourself to others, you know, this kind of thing. Well, how do you measure that? Well, it, it, the best way would be to, an invisible silent drone that follows you around and codes all your behavior. Yeah. You know, every time you said, or and better yet, you actually can read their thoughts. And every yeah. time they think or say or exhibit some superior attitude, then you, you put a little tick in the column of narcissism, and otherwise, you know, a tick in the column of non-narcissism. But that's too expensive and impossible. And so we actually just ask people questions. That's how we measure narcissism usually. Yeah. And, it, it, and when I measure narcissism, I interview them for like years, you know, and yeah. ask them about their inner life. And, and I'm never quite sure if I'm conceptualizing them correctly. When scientists are measuring narcissism in people, they're asking questions like, um, I think I'm a good person. Yeah. Or I'm I'm better than other people. Okay. So those are two different items that are sort of emblematic of the of the main right. measures. So if you ask someone, you know, how much do you agree with the statement, "I am better than other people"? Well, obviously, if people are like, "Well, yeah, I'm better than other people," that's narcissistic, right? That's, that's I'm superior. But there are many questions on there that's like, "I have high self-esteem," or "I like, right. my, I like myself," I like or, myself, or people like me, or I have interesting things to say. So those are also, according to these measures, indication of narcissism. Right. But it's also just healthy self-esteem. Like the opposite of that is I'm not likable. People don't like to hear my stories. I'm not interesting. I don't like myself. Like if the opposite of narcissism is low self-esteem, then Narcissism, by definition, includes a subset of people who just have good self-esteem but will be coded as narcissistic, by the way. And this is all the research, and I did a whole deep dive into all the research. All the research that looks into people using social media are narcissistic, they'll say that, is based on this very common measure that has those issues. And um, whenever they talk about how people today are more narcissistic than they were 20 years ago, When you actually look at the individual items that have changed on average over time, it's those kinds of items in in the questionnaire. You know, the superior items like I'm better than other people, those haven't changed over the past 30 years in the research that I've looked at. What has changed in the past 30 years are items like I'm a good person or I have interesting things to say or people like me. Uh, Those kinds of items have changed. Which to me says, yeah, for the better, right? Which to me says that kids today are more have higher self-esteem, but the same level of narcissism (laughs) as they as they did. Sure, Uh, but because of the because researchers, that's not very interesting, and they're not going to sell any books, and they're not going to go on Fox News saying kids today are are the same have the same level of narcissism as they did thirty years ago, but they actually are. They actually have higher self-esteem because of the liberal agenda to, uh, you know, make children soft. Because, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, we're being soft on kids and we're creating narcissists. Right. Um, When we look at the data, it doesn't look that way. Now, it depends on how you look at it, from what angle. You know, you can cherry pick different studies. But anyway, the point is is that um, they did find that higher levels of social media use is associated with what the construct is calling narcissism. But it's hard to know what that exactly means. Um, it's also associated with higher neuroticism, meaning that you're more you're, you're scared or you're anxious or you're depressed. This kind of, you're down. You have bad moods. Lower levels uh, of social media use is associated with um, with. Oh, I'm not going to go into that because I'm actually. Wait, what,
1: what about compul- compulsivity or like addictive behavior?
0: Well, uh, I didn't see the research on that. Okay. Um, uh, so I don't know the question. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, social media is good for people on average is supported by the following research. So what do you think is that a lot of research has found are good things associated with social media use, Berto?
1: Good things associated with social media use?
0: Yeah, um, there are benefits to people or okay. you know, markers well, of, of... You
1: feel... You feel a connection to people that you can't see frequently physically, for example, long-distance relatives or
0: long-distance friends. Research shows that social media and the Internet, you know, Internet social stuff, facilitates relationship development. It also facilitates acceptance from peers. So this isn't reported in the Internet or in the news, (laughs) you know, like – but social media actually has been shown by scientific, you know – uh, studies that it 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 can facilitate relationship development and it can facilitate acceptance from peers on average certainly can um, not but on average yeah. it, it generally does you know on average facilitate relationship development what other kinds of positive things has been found in the research uh,
1: I, I guess I mean this one is very related to that one but just the ability to stay in contact like yeah. not just develop but just like once you have those connections just be able to stay in contact. Yeah, It's an unprecedented ability because you could have never written that many letters in prior times. Yeah, or
0: seen pictures on that level, right? Yeah, Yeah. Other things are improving acculturation when you enter a new group, like when you go to a Mm -hmm. new university or you go to a new place of work, you can join, you can become Facebook friends with people at work and you instantly are connected. Higher self-esteem. So that's a shocker, right? That that one doesn't get talked about. <laughs> science has demonstrated that social media actually improves people's self-esteem. Whoa. Now I'm, I'm going to get into more of it later, but just just know that that there are many studies that show when people engage in social media, their self-esteem goes up. Wow. Okay, that is I not I didn't know that. Right, but that is something that that empirical science has demonstrated. It also can lower so- social anxiety. So, on average, you know, and that from this one study, they looked at people and they're like, okay, on average, uh, when you know, group A uses social media and group B doesn't, group A has lower social anxiety. Hmm. It can improve mood and well-being. These kinds of things. Um, Facebook enhances self-esteem for those focused on strong ties during Facebook use. So, so that's a more specific study of like when people focus on. Facebook as a way of developing strong ties with other people, then it actually enhances their self-esteem. So it appears that there are a lot of moderating factors when it comes to social media use that just using social media is too blanket of a thing. It's like, what do conversations do to people? That's essentially what we're asking. Well, we all understand that there are some conversations that are terrible and some that are great. And if you go into a conversation, particularly if both people go into a conversation focusing on something positive or at least neutral, then it's either going to have a neutral outcome on you or a positive outcome. If you frequently go into a conversation with resentment and anger and accusations, then the quote-unquote conversations are going to have a bad effect on you, <laughs> you know? So yeah. this so this whole thing of like Facebook is evil, it's like, well, you might as well just say conversations are evil because interacting with other human beings, there's, a, there, there's so many other factors that play into if it's going to be a good thing for you or a bad thing. Okay, what about social media is bad? How has research found that it's bad for us?
1: I would imagine... Well, because it's funny, I, I would have said lower self-esteem because <laughs> uh, that would have been the impression that <laughs> from the media or whatever. Um, so now I have to rethink my answers. I think that they might have found uh, aggress- aggression <laughs> uh, or polarization increases.
0: Yeah, well, definitely political polarization, yeah. Um, so addressing the self-esteem, some research shows that if people use social media a lot, like excess, like in the top, you know, five percentile or something, uh-huh. it is associated with with low self esteem. But oh, okay. in both high self esteem and low self esteem, uh, many studies are just cor- correlation studies, and so we don't know is it that low self, you know, v- people with low self esteem tend to turn to social media a lot, or the other way around? Does so- using social media a lot cause low self esteem? And the same goes for any positive result of social media. So maybe
1: another one would be uh, bullying behaviors, like online bullying.
0: Uh, I didn't see that. But okay. um, emotional problems, academic problems with a lot of social media use. Um, and the other thing they found here was that self-esteem mediated the effect of social media, meaning that if someone has high self-esteem, uh, then their problems weren't as bad. Hmm. So That makes uh, sense. So the issue is not whether or not someone uses social media, it's what is their uh, overall personality like going into using social media in the same way that conversations will have a different effect on right. different sorts of personalities. Um, okay, I have a lot of notes on narcissism, but I feel like I already kind of dipped into that. Um, you know, Lots of research pointing towards association between narcissism and Facebook use and, and social media use.
1: What, what about the, the whole, uh, fear of missing out FOMO? Like, yeah maybe. uh, you know, people seeing happy pictures and them feeling like maybe their life is not as happy.
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, although I'll tell you when I was not missing out on things, you know, when you and I were going out a lot, I probably yeah. used Facebook a hundred times more often, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, uh, checking in <laughs> on other people. So, uh, I don't know what that means exactly, but, but anyway, um, so the other question here you know because often what comes up is like oh narcissism social media let me ask you Berto, why are we so concerned about narcissism
1: uh, well that's a good question <laughs> uh, and I have the best answer for it <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I think like everything in life it, it's the extremes that are concerning but why what
0: what's the extreme okay. of nar- who what wh- you know and maybe there are some things but yeah. it's not it's not self-evident to me why narcissism would be a concern.
1: Well, I, I mean, to me, it, it sort of is like, uh, in that if, if you are basically putting yourself above the, the, those around you on a regular basis, those around you are likely suffering. They're suffering because you're, I mean, not paying attention to them or disregarding them or doing things that go against them or hurting them.
0: Okay. So, uh, because so
1: you're, yeah,
0: narcissism to you and to many is associated with relationship troubles, right? right. Uh, after They're a hurt, certain hurting threshold, other, hurting yeah. other people, right? Yeah. So if you're narcissistic, you're going to hurt other people. You're going to hurt a
1: certain threshold. Yeah. You're
0: going to hurt their feelings, right? Above a certain threshold, yeah. You're going to hurt other people's feelings, right? And
1: hurt them potentially in other ways, like physically, mentally, whatever. Yeah.
0: Because you think you're superior to them.
1: Well, because yeah, because like you. You disregard them, you insult them, you right. belittle them, you okay. don't remember their
0: birthdays, you, yeah. you know, all these things. So why don't we measure that? <laughs> uh. Why don't we measure harm to other people? Sure. We sure, don't sure. measure that. We don't. When was the last time you heard a study talking about social media use and harming other people in a social way? Right. I, I, it's mind-boggling. It like never... I just
1: asked about bullying, and you said, "Yeah, there's no research."
0: <laughs> well, there is, but not that. No, I don't remember any. I'm sure there yeah. is, but um, the the issue here is that narcissism in our society that we have this obsession with it, right? Particularly right now, and it's it never occurred to me until I was taking notes on this. I was thinking, wait, what are we so concerned about when you know? Because the headline is. Social media is making people narcissistic, and then you just have to stop and go. Like, so what? Like, right. <laughs> what exactly? What's what's the problem? You know, is it just that you don't like narcissistic people? <laughs> but but then but then the natural thing that people probably would get to is well, narcissistic people are going to hurt other people's feelings, or they're going to be very unhappy because they're going to alienate themselves from other people because they're narcissistic. Okay, then. Are those people who are alienating others necessarily narcissistic? No. Uh, are harmful individuals necessarily narcissistic? No. So why are we focusing on narcissism? Well, I contend that our society is fixated on narcissism because a variety of reasons, which I won't get into, but we we just don't like people stuck on themselves because I, I think a lot of us have low self-esteem and we just hate the idea of someone thinking nice about themselves.
1: Uh, however, to play uh, narcissist's advocate, um, like or the, Jordan. Or the opposite, <laughs> Jordan is yeah. Jordan, Michael Jordan was certainly narcissistic. Um, what's his name? Muhammad Ali certainly narcissistic. Tyson, well, in, in uh, Mike the, Tyson certainly narcissistic. In the narcissistic. sense,
0: in the sense of, I'm guessing what you're saying is they believed wholeheartedly that they were superior. To, yeah. other, to other and people and they said it in variety, all the time in a variety of ways and, and seemed yeah. quite fixated on that notion yeah. and, and really wanted to make other people understand that right. they were superior yeah
1: but we admired them and i think that the reason is because they sort of their narcissism sticks to its lane like yeah i'm the i'm michael phelps i'm the best swimmer in the world but i'm not gonna try to like cut you off on the road or or demand that i cut in line at the grocery store I'm just better in the swimming pool. Um, that's not the same as like, no, I'm a better person. And I, de- I, def- I deserve better in general right. all the
0: time. Right. And, and my second contention is that all of us have been hurt by people in the past. We've been dumped. We've been neglected. And the conclusion, the knee-jerk conclusion for all of us is always that person is narcissistic or some other phrase like that yeah. person doesn't care about other people's feelings. Why, why do we conclude that? Well, cause they, we are perceiving that person is not caring about our feelings and we want them to care about our feelings. And the fact that they're not caring about our feelings must be because they are overly concerned with their own feelings. <laughs> and that is narcissistic. And, all of us have an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that we are displacing our anger from them to people who use social media. That, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually quite confident in that, in that speculation. Oh,
1: that's interesting.
0: All right, let's conclude with what we should do. Berto. <laughs> give advice to the listener, given everything we said thus far. What do they need to do to protect themselves from social media, to better society, what should they do?
1: All right, so some of, this, some of this I know, and some of this I'm not a good example. So do as I say, not as I, I do. Okay, but the things that, that are facts are, definitely check your privacy settings in all apps that you use. If it's Facebook, if it's Google, whatever, check your privacy settings. Spend the extra time to see what others can see about you. And I'm not saying turn it all off or whatever. Just you be aware of what it is, and then you decide what's okay for you. I would also recommend that if you have families or, or people that you're trying to protect them a little bit from all the maelstrom, that you actually go a little more conservative with your privacy settings. Okay, so that that's one thing. The second thing, again, this is do as I say, not as I do. Um, put put it down. I, actually, I have done this. Like as you know, earlier this year when. Uh, there were there were reasons that I, I I was upset at the leadership at one of these companies. Uh, I'll just say at, at Facebook, and I decided for the second time in the last couple of years to take a break, and I took a break basically for several months, like I think like two two and a half months or something like that. The last time I did it, I actually took a month for I took a break for like six months or something, um, and it is actually good. <laughs> it is refreshing. I liked my break. I didn't actually miss it. I. I I only missed a couple of things because of uh, family members who do post some updates that I do care about. But honestly, a lot of times I can get that through other mediums. So I was okay. So what I would say is like, take a break, see how it feels for whatever it is, not just Facebook, whatever it is, take a break, see how it feels, be, 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 practice taking a break. You know. And then lastly is uh, what they said in the documentary, I will say from experience, absolutely true. Put the phone away before bedtime, put it away, just put it away. (laughs) Don't, don't go down the rabbit holes right as you're trying to go to bed.
0: Yeah. That's all good data. That's all good uh, advice. Here are my seven steps that I think we all should be doing eight steps. Number one is gather data, you know, uh, and my, my approach is more like not only individually, but also as a responsible citizen and a responsible parent. Number one is gather data. So what I mean by that is watch this documentary, for example, but that's just one data point on, you know, a hundred different things. Watch Noam Chomsky on YouTube talk about capitalism, for example. Yeah. Uh, learn the, what the matrix is once, you know, see the matrix. We live in the matrix and that's okay. There's no way to get out of it, uh, but uh, you have to see it and you're not going to see it unless you listen to a very intelligent philosophers and social commentary people who spend a lot of time figuring out a way to explain it to us. So, so gather data. Number two is be thoughtful. Take an inventory of your Internet use and life in general, for that matter. And life in general. <laughs> um, number three, general life. Yeah. Number three and and number two, being meaning take an inventory of your of your internet use is like, okay, what am I doing exactly? What are all the different things that i'm that I'm doing on the internet? How is social media? And you don't have to judge it. Just just be thoughtful. think about think about all the different things you're doing. Are you doing it before the bed? doesn't necessarily mean you have to take it away from before bed, but just notice it. don't don't let it become it's automatic, like breathing. Number three is, what is the purpose of your life? Because if you do not know the purpose of your life, a marketer will define it for you. For me, I know the purpose of my life. And when a marketer comes along, or business ventures for that matter, because as, as I'm gaining in popularity, people are reaching out to me and just being like, hey, I got a deal for you. If I didn't have the purpose of my life and a mission for this podcast – I wouldn't know how to answer those. I wouldn't have a guide of like, well, do I do that or do I do that? Because there are a lot of different ventures that are coming my way that could make me money or could make me fame. But I'm thinking, is that going to meet the only goal I really have for this podcast, which is to make the world a better place? Is that going to service that? And many times I'm like, no, the only reason why I would do that thing is if I'm trying to make more money or I'm trying to get more famous. And that is not my purpose, but maybe that is your purpose. The point is, is that if you don't have a purpose in your life, things are going to come at you. Advertisements are going to come at you. You know, if if the purpose of your life is to be in the outdoors and someone advertises a car to you that is a better car so that you can go into the outdoors. And it literally is a car that helps you do that. You know, it's four wheel Hmm. drive or something. Then you know, like, wait, that advertisement, even though it's, you know, it's clicking those buttons in me, I actually am on board with that. Now, I don't know if I'm going to buy that thing, but uh, whereas another ad comes your way and says uh, that you're, you know, does your butt look big? Well, you know, here's Spanx. And if you don't have, like, why you're on this planet, then that marketer has now defined for you your goal in life is to make your butt look smaller (laughs) Like uh-huh. you know, because if you don't have a guide now, maybe you your goal in life is to look great on Instagram. That's your that's your purpose in life. Nothing wrong with that if you've defined it that way. And you get an advertisement for Spanx, then you know if that fits your thing. That you know, it, if and and mark. So marketers are uh, they love it when people do not know what they want, because that mm-hmm. means they can define it for you. They will. Create for you a lifestyle that will trick you, and they will—they'll trick you into chasing a goal that, and they'll trick you into thinking that you want it. They'll trick you into thinking they can that that you need to have this, and they'll trick you into thinking you can get it. (laughs) You know, like watch any Matthew McConaughey Lincoln, uh, you know, car ad. Oh yeah. What, what those ads are are trying to, and I find the premise to just be ridiculous because he's always alone, by the way. And they're trying to sell you this notion that if you buy this car, you will always feel on top of the world. You'll feel cool. You'll feel smart. You'll feel above it all. You you won't need anyone else. You know, it's just the masculine ideal. A cool, smart, intelligent, good-looking, rich, suave, thin, still has a head of hair, you know. Has a little bit of a American accent, you know, from the South, and it's just a ridiculous notion. I mean, who wants to be alone in an overpriced car? It's like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Can you send
1: me? Can you send me the link to that article to that ad?
0: (laughs) <laughs> um, so know your purpose in life, because if you don't know, marketers are going to fuck with you. Number four is consider how it affects your life. Consider how social media and the internet affects your life, how it affects your sleep, how it affects your well-being. Those are very important questions. Number five is have an approach to parenting if you're a parent. So you got to start early on this sort of thing. And don't think, especially if you know this is your first kid, do not think, well, I got it under control. I'm just not going to let this affect you. No. Th- is when you're as soon as your kid can focus their attention on something, and as soon as they can reach for something, the first thing they're going to reach for is your phone. And the reason <laughs> why is because you always reach for your phone. They realize that because you know, they mimic. They go that my human, my you know attachment figure. They love that. I don't know what that thing is, but I want it too. <laughs> You know, they never grab the thing that is boring to you because it's, it's boring to you. They don't want – so so start early with your approach, whatever that is. And Wait, the, can't
1: your strategy be to, like, always
0: have math or science on the screen at all times? <laughs> so that could be it, honestly. <laughs> like, you, you know, you might have something like that, something that teaches, you know. Um, it always has cartoons that are approved by you and makes – the other thing is is um, don't just restrict kids from screens. Like you, you certainly can do that if you want, but there is always going to be another screen out there that they're going to have access to. The key is, is you have to teach the child what the screens are trying to do to them. You know, if you if you uh, give a man a fish, you can feed him for a day. If you teach a man how to fish, you can feed him for a lifetime, you know. And so, if you
1: teach him there's mercury in the fish, then they can avoid the fish.
0: Right. Uh, the other thing is... is Be paranoid about what the Internet is trying to do to your kid, honestly, because the Internet is absolutely trying to screw with your kid. Now, you as an adult presumably have the ability to be a little bit critical of what's happening. Your child does not, particularly at the age of 5, 10 years old. They have no protections. And so be paranoid about what the Internet can do. I mean, not only just with ads and stuff, but like pornography and uh, other imagery of – of violence i mean you just google anything i mean all of us have experienced this you know you just google something on accident and like the image page on google just pops up it's just like gore and rape and you know death and it's whoa like i didn't realize like that was right around the corner and your kids are you know their brains are not ready for those kinds of images so
1: yeah like the other day i I googled butt pleasure clamps
0: and you would not believe the stuff that came up it was crazy (laughs) Um, And the opposite is also my recommendation, which is stop being overprotective outside of the internet. The reason why kids are turning to the screens, in my uh, opinion, and other experts, is because as parents, we're not letting our kids do anything else. They can't go to the park. They can't play with their friends without being supervised. They can't ride their bikes. They can't get their driver's licenses. They can't go to the mall with their friends. They can't walk to school. They can't uh, uh, play without you constantly watching them. And so there's nothing else to do but, <laughs> but to look at screens. According to current you know, trends in parenting, kids have to sit in their room and stare at the wall. Because that's the only way you can reassure yourself that they're not going to hurt themselves. This is a bad trend. And it actually, in my book, is leading to more screen use. When you give kids, and you'll see this with your own kids even, you you take them to a park and there's something about the park or you take them to some kind of activity. And there's something about the activity where there's movement and it's compelling and interesting in the way that we remember playing as kids. You see your kids take to it. Not all kids, but you see your kids just be like, oh, my God, this is the best. (laughs) And they don't want to leave. You know, they're just like, I don't want to – this is – and you're like, whoa, huh. Kids (laughs) like to be physical. They like interacting with other kids. They like, you know, experimenting with their bodies and having power in the world with their bodies. And we are increasingly not allowing kids to explore the world. So when we're telling them not to be on a screen we're a, and we don't let them go outside, we're telling them to stare at a wall, which Can is not Can we just get healthy. them VR headsets and put them in <laughs>
1: VR environments all the time? Well,
0: you say that, but that is sort of a thing that we have to think about as well. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, number six is bond. So in the same way that not every uh, you know, veteran who, got, who used heroin in Vietnam came back as an addict – because only some of them needed the heroin when they got back for emotional reasons. Not all kids become problematic internet users. Mm -hmm. Only those kids who don't feel like they can trust other people or they don't feel lovable. And so if you have a strong bond, kids will default to you. Kids will default to friends. Kids will default to other human beings. When they don't have that available, they will turn to screens. Mm. Kids would rather interact with other human beings. It, you, when you watch now sometimes there's a kid who just like loves a particular thing but if when you watch kids particularly when they're really young as there's you know the first started developing how they inter- interface with the world they would take you if you're compelling and interesting and safe they would take you over a screen any day and this whole notion that like screens are like you know and they can be very compelling is basically uh a indictment on and now i'm not saying that every parent who has a kid who's interested in screens is a bad parent because some some screens are very you know compelling and some kids are very compelled towards screens but my point is is that a very protecting factor in all of what we're talking about is having good relationships so for example for me i feel like i have good relationships in my life and i have good self-esteem and so when the internet tries to do something to me it doesn't really get to me because uh, when it tries to scare me, for example, I'm like, I'm not really that swayed by it because I have my people I can go talk to, and and if uh, the internet promises me some awesome thing, I'm like, well, I'm pretty content as it is. I'm not really, I'm not really sad about it. You, there's not a lot of holes that the internet can fill in me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, with your children, with other people. So if even if you don't have kids, make sure you have strong bonds with other people, strong relationships, because in the absence, because that's my contention as well, is that as our society was becoming more and more isolated over the past 100 years, there's been a lot of different things that have moved in to replace that. Drugs, TV, internet, you know, and the problem is not the internet for a lot of people. The problem is we were lonely to begin with, and it's, <laughs> it's our only way to get any kind of contact with other human beings because without it, we'd have nothing.
1: You're, you're feeling too lonely? This one weird trick will make you feel part of a community. Number seven will blow you away. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, number seven <laughs> is vote for politicians who focus on this. And this, this is very important because, as we're saying, without regulations, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, do not... You know, think that if we raise awareness, that's all that's going to happen because uh, the, these organizations, they'll just hire other people who are willing to do what needs to be done. You know what I mean? So, uh, by the way, one of the challenges
1: with regulation is and they sort of mentioned it in the documentary is uh, politicians by and large are not experts at any of this tech stuff. Yeah. And we've seen this problem building over the last few decades where they'll have these hearings And every now and then you'll see a couple of them are really informed. But most of them are like, really? Oh, I can't believe this is happening. And then they'll just listen to whoever says whatever and they'll believe it or won't believe it. And it's a mess. Uh, I I can't even imagine what it's going to be like with hearings about AI and robotics and things like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now, I'm not saying vote for politicians who understand this. I'm saying vote for politicians who understand someone needs to be paying attention to this, and then yeah. those politicians go out and hire experts. Yep. I'm one of those people who actually doesn't think that politicians should be making decisions about any th- – they should be delegating. <laughs> they should be yeah. – you know, if there's a public health concern, they should listen to the experts. They should not be relying on their own information anyway. So the best politicians are the people that know how to – vet the, or how to pick the best expert. You know, polit- we, should, we shouldn't we should be voting for politicians that know how to fight on stage. We should be voting for politicians who are the best at picking experts to follow. That's the people, right. you know, uh, the best politician is the best follower of expert opinion. Number eight, my final tip for everyone is we need to have more discourse, like we're doing in this podcast, you're listening to this isn't going to go away, and it's and capitalism and incursions on our you know cells from the market have been going on for thousands of years, and it's getting more intense. And so we definitely need to have a lot of discourse about this. We need to talk about it. We need to raise awareness. We need to think about what is good in life. We need to think about how we can use social media to uh, better our societies. We can, if we decided, use social media to lower carbon emissions, for example. Uh, there's a little bit of effort along those lines, but not enough. We could use social media to actually bring people closer together from different political uh, standpoints. You Think about that. If we wanted to, if we decided, <laughs> or if mm-hmm. Facebook decided and they didn't mind losing some money, they could decide we're going to create an algorithm or a set of algorithms that is actually going to reduce the anger towards your fellow American. They right. could do that today, and within a year you would see a signal. So, you no, know, what do we do? Do we force Facebook to do that? Uh, you know, I don't know, that's where the discourse comes in, that's where the experts, that's where Noam Chomsky comes in, <laughs> that's where all the others come in. And we talk about it, we, it there's no easy answer, there's, you know, there's gonna be pros and cons, but to do nothing, uh, or to, to wait, Or to say, well, what are you going to do? Is making a choice to do nothing, and you're choosing to uh, allow a highly motivated, organized, literally millions of people and computers that are designed to go one direction. It's going to continue going that direction. We've seen the beginning of what it's going, what it's done. It's only going to get worse. I don't think it's going to end. I don't think we're going to, you know, end our society or our race, but. I do think that um, I get. Well, let me think what I think. What I think is that eventually we're going to figure it out as a society. There's going to be enough of us that will be burned by enough things that we will have skepticism about the internet sufficiently. But how fast will that happen, and at what cost? You know, we could reduce the right. cost, and we could increase the rapid rate of that by doing what i'm saying what do you think berto final word yeah so one one thing that i i also
1: think we should be aware of is um it's i think it's really risky to think uh if we oh only go back to the way things used to be uh that's a problem we have right now with a lot of folks in this country they they want to go back to some mythical great time in the past um Whereas in reality, the past is full of terrible things, tons of other uh, plot holes, if you will, even though right now we have this struggle, and it's real, and I agree with most of everything that was presented in the documentary about the risks and what you were just saying and things like that. Uh, At the same time, it's not in my mind, it's not about, and if we do this, then we'll finally go back to that idyllic 1980s, 1970s, whenever it was. No, there were plenty of problems of many cases, many, uh, in many ways, in all the decades, at all of history. What we're talking about really is, how do we keep going? Because we're not going to go back. We're not going to turn off the computers. We're not going to do that. I mean, unless a tragedy strikes. So since we're not going to do that, how do we go forward in the best or you know a, a good way possible so that humans can coexist with what we're creating for humans?
0: Yeah. All right, everyone out there. Thank you for allowing us to manipulate you to listen to this and influence you to remain a patron or become a patron or listen to ads because that's how we make money. Then I can pay my bills and Burrow can pay some of his bills. (laughs) And uh, I can pay my internet bills. (laughs) (laughs) So I can get more ads pumped into my head. It's a downward spiral. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.